0: You awake? I'll take care of that for you in a moment. Listen, if I fall asleep, just uh, somebody come take over. 2016. Isn't that crazy? I, uh... That's how you know you're old. I vividly remember thinking when we were married in 1973... One of my favorite movies, still still, watch it all the time when I get a chance, is American Graffiti. It came out that year, and and I still remember thinking that uh, the, how the good old days were the 60s, and then it got in the 80s and the 70s and the 90s. And wow, just goes by. We have a granddaughter that will be two end of this month. And I was driving around this week with a couple of my other grandchildren, and we were just talking about... We have several people born in January in our family. Matter of fact, we did a birthday. One of my granddaughters yesterday was born January 2nd. So we were going to like her little birthday party. So I was testing my other grandchildren because my birthday's in January, and I want to make sure they knew that. So I was testing them, I was saying, all right, who's born in January? And they 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 were like, it doesn't matter, we're not getting anything. That's not the important thing. I said who was born in January and so we were going through it and they forgot the little little 2 year old. It is cool when you watch your grandchildren cuz one of them's 11 and uh, I got two that are 11 and two that are 9 and then the little 2 year old. Well, you can imagine every time the cousins get together the little 2 year old's like a doll of them just you know, it's just the cutest little thing to play with and they they can be a little rough. I said, I said you know lydia will be 2 at the end of the month and they were like, "2?" No, she can't be I said, yeah, she'll be too Because I, I hate her And the reason I hate her Is the night she was born We were at the hospital with, with uh, my daughter-in-law She was been laboring the our pipes burst in our home And uh, we're still recovering Two years later from that mess So uh, Every time I see her, I just kind of I don't I want you to help me with something And then we're going to get into You can go ahead and open your Bibles To First John chapter 2 just kind of, I uh, want to share something with you and let you help me with it, and uh, it, I think it will help us uh, uh, at the end of the, the service. Well, one of the things that we we have to turn this building back over tomorrow. Daycare, after school care. i you, you know, most of you that the building's used like crazy. So one of the things we need to do is all this has got to come down, and we got to get it set up. And we've been trying things over the last few months where everybody leaves, and then we're supposed to come back and kind of if, before you leave come back and help do that. Well, what's happening is it's gotten down. Sometimes it's just poor O'Brien's in here by himself stacking chairs. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you want to talk to somebody, that's fine. You, as soon as service is over, you want to spend some time, do that. But what we need to do is stack all these chairs about 12 high. We've got carts and a movement all that. And, and rather than one, two, three guys having to do it, if we all stack the chairs, it takes about five minutes as opposed to 45 minutes. So uh, if, you want to, if you're going to talk to somebody in the lobby or in the hallway or even in here that's fine, you go ahead and do that but then before you leave, if you get a chance come back in, make sure you get your children out of the nursery because if you don't get them out of the nursery then I'll be in trouble so uh, you get, get your children but if you can help us stack the chairs up and hang around, that would be great alright New year, how many of you made a resolution? smart you don't waste your time doing that anymore, right? how many have already broken one? Very good. Here's my resolution for, uh, remember my resolution several years ago? We all loved it so much that we are going to be fat for God. Remember that one? I decided I'll just do that whenever every year. It's a lot easier that way. I can accomplish that when I can be fat for God. What did fat mean? Anybody remember? Okay, we're going to do that whole sermon series again. Being fat for God. Anybody remember? I'm impressed. Fat for God. Going to be faithful, available, teachable. All right, let's go home. <clears throat> All right, turn to 1 John chapter 2. I am praying about doing something. I really do uh, covet your prayers over the, I started looking at something this week that we're going to wrap up our series on 1 John and tying it back into what we were talking about last week over the next couple of weeks. And I'm really praying about doing something in particular. I don't want to share it with you yet until I know kind of where the Lord is leading me. But I've asked you specifically because something's something really been a burden for me in sharing my faith with some different people. Some who go to church here, some who do not, some who are believers and some that are struggling and others who just don't know, have some serious doubts. And so I'm praying about doing uh, something in particular along those lines. And I just ask you to to pray for me, the Lord to give me wisdom where he wants me. Because what I tend to do is I start studying something and and I get overwhelmed with with all of this, trying to break it down and exactly what does the Lord want me to share with you. My prayer every sunday before i come down here i sit right back there in the back or over here with mary and and i just pray lord i i want you to hear from the lord and i realize that that i'm the instrument i hope through whom he speaks but sometimes randy gets in the way and i don't want that to happen i want you to hear from the word of god and from your heavenly father what he would have for you so first the first john chapter two We've been looking at in this series what we share together. That's what the word fellowship means. What we share together as as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fellowship we have, the fact we love one another. The fellowship of love. And as we were doing our Christmas series, we're looking at the incredible love gift that God gave to, to the Magi, and He gave to Mary, and He gave to mankind. And one of the reasons I did what I did last week was to transition back into wrapping up First John talking about the idea and it's really prevalent becoming more and more so supposedly in the arena of the church in America I'm not so much sure that it's the church as opposed to people who are pretending to be the church but the idea that that to say that Jesus Christ is the only way that a man can know God is just too arrogant well if that's the case then we're wasting our time if it's just another option pick your option and move on But we talked about last week from Galatians that Paul was just bewildered and astonished. He could not believe that the believers in the churches in Galatia so soon would turn to another gospel. We saw very vividly that Paul was upset. He loved these people and he was hurting for them that they were turning away from the good news of Jesus Christ to, quote, another gospel, which was, quote, different gospel which was quote not a gospel and paul's whole point was there is only one way there's only one god one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus the words the apostle paul to his protege timothy jesus christ himself said i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me so he was either an arrogant liar con man a nut or he was god and so it's important for us as Christians, we've got to make a decision. It's not just our option that we follow Jesus, we believe the gospel, and that gives us eternal life. That's true. And, but that others can follow another path, and it all leads up to the same mountaintop. No, it does not. Jesus Christ said he was exclusively claiming to be deity. Before Abraham was, I am. I and the Father are one in essence, in nature. We are, I am God. Incarnate Christmas. God with us, Emmanuel. God in the flesh. He claimed to be eternal. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we've got to decide. Am I just, am I just a Christian because That's what my family's always been. Or do I believe this? There is no other gospel we talked about last week. So what I want us to look at today, tying that in, transitioning from the incredible gift we were given at Christmas that led to Calvary as we head toward Easter and that the fact that the resurrection occurred, because without it, again, Jesus would be a liar and we would have no one to place our faith in. What I really want to focus on today, and as we wrap up John and lead in another direction, heading toward the cross, is how significant it is that we are the church, that we share this amazing bond, that we share something that non-believers do not have. And I don't mean just Christ Church. I mean anyone who is born again, who knows Jesus Christ as his or her Savior throughout the world can open the same Bible in whatever language they read it in that you and I are looking at today and it's the same eternal words from the omnipotent God who is their father if they are Christian and that's the same anywhere on this planet years ago I was on a mission trip and the guy that was helping us throughout, we, we spent a week in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Incredible time. It was 1991. Think about that. In 1991, at the teenagers, we lived with an, in an Indian village and we did some, uh, like BBS. We went around and shared with some people the Supai Indians and the Havasupais down the reservation down there. And, and there were teenagers at the bottom. They lived in the bottom of the Grand Canyon and, and we rode horses down there and, and spent a week down there. And there are no roads, there's one jeep, uh, you have to walk and tread carefully everywhere you walk. Everything is on horseback and you understand why you're treading, treading carefully. You bathe in a river underneath the waterfalls, beautiful, great, incredible, just a trip but 1991, there was one telephone in the little store, the prices in the store changed by the hour. Had a buddy. Their, their groceries were flown in by helicopter. Had a buddy that on Monday he bought a Coke and one of these those yellow cupcakes that Hostess makes that, that Satan put out. Incredibly good. I love those orange cupcakes. So He bought one of those and Coke was like dollar and a half. 1991. He bought one two days later 750. Because it's called supply and demand. I understand that. So. Anyway, we're down in 1991. There were kids down there, teenagers, and we spent some time talking to them. I love talking to children and teenagers. And they'd never seen an automobile. Never seen a car 1991. They'd never been out of the Grand Canyon. But in Christ, there was a bond there. You didn't have to have a car. You didn't have to have all the attachments and everything that we thought made us happy. They were happy. Why? Because they were in Christ. I remember the guy that took us down there. It's like an old, I mean, it's like going back in time, 150 years. He was the mailman. So he rode down. He took the mail down. And he was also a missionary. He took the mail down. And we'd never seen him before. Never met him until that day. He took us down. We met him when we came back a week later. Said goodbye. He's on his horse getting ready to take the mail down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And here's what he said. just like, it's like John Wayne or Randolph Scott. I mean, it's like an old Western. He rears up on his horse and he waves, and he says, if "I don't see you again. I'll see you in heaven. I'll never forget that, because you know what? He's right." And I talk to people all the time, both here in, here in town and in other places, either whether by phone or just email or whatever it might be. That I met—they're strangers, but once. You know you're both Christians, there's a bond. Non-believers don't understand. So today I want us to focus on the church and understanding how special it is. This it's not an organization, it's an organism that we're a part of. We are the bride of the Son of God. We are his body. We are his family. He cannot wait to come back, to take his bride home, to be with him forever revelation at the marriage supper of the lamb incredible celebration we're the bride jesus said in john 14 leading up to that great statement i'm the way the truth and life no man comes to the father but by me prior to that in the context he said these words i go to prepare a place and if i go to prepare a place for you i will come again that where i am there you may be also. And he began it by saying, "Let not your heart be troubled." They did not want him to go away. He said, "I got to go away. I got to do this." But understand, I'm going to get your placement. I'm gonna come back again. We're gonna be together. That same promise holds true for us today. We are His bride. We are His church. So what I want us to do today is I want to start. I just want you to listen to Ephesians chapter three. Just listen what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Jesus Christ had personally been with John. John was one of his closest associates. Peter, James, and John were Jesus' inner circle. So as we read these words we're about to read in First John chapter 2, understand John had seen Jesus walk on water. He had seen him heal people with congenital blindness and had been uh, blind their entire lives he he'd seen he'd give the people new limbs he'd seen a man who was crippled for 40 years 38 years get up and jump and run and leap he saw miracles occur he heard jesus speak the authority only god can speak with so now he writes to us to understand that that's the church look at first john 225 This is the promise that he, Christ the Father, has promised us, Christ and the Father, has promised us eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus said, I'm going away, I'm going to get your place ready. Your dwelling, this mansion, your dwelling place, I'm going to get it ready. I'm going to come back, it's yours, I'm telling you it's yours. When you read about eternal life in the New Testament, it's incredible how the verbs are structured in Greek. Because I use past tense verbs for future tense events. Here's why. It's already accomplished in the mind of God. It's a done deal. I am his child. I am saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. I am his. Eternal life is already my possession. Past tense verb, it's mine. I have it. I have had it. It's my future. It began when I was born again. It carries on now. And I will ultimately go home and get my final Dwelling place, my reward, we will as the church. So, if we're thinking about loving the church that we share, that bond, the first thing I want you to focus on is we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, both in you as an individual and in us corporately as the body of Christ. In you as an individual and in us. As the body of Christ, look at verse twenty-six. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. You do not you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. John is writing to them. Again, we talked about this a lot. We're not going to go back over all of that, but he is writing to them. Because of the false teachers who are coming into the church, and they called them earlier Antichrist plural. Notice verse 26, they try to deceive you. And in Greek, what that's saying is this, they're trying to lead you astray with continual unyielding pressure. They will not give up. They're like a cancer. We saw earlier, they're like a cancer or they're like gangrene. When they get in there, they're going to eat away at the flesh of the body of Christ. They're not going to go away. We as the church individually and corporately need to understand that's occurring. Satan is not going to give up. He will continually send false teachers into the church. They will raise up from within And from without. It's throughout the New Testament. Every apostle deals with it. That they're going to be there. And their job is to eat away at the flesh of the body of Christ. You've got to be aware. You've got to be sensitive. Understand that it's going to be occurring. And here's how it works. They'll start teaching something that sounds good. Satan did it in the Garden of Eden. And then they toss this up. What about this? What did God really mean? And then you begin to drift a little bit. So you start seeking some new experience or some new doctrine that this guy might be talking about that really sounds good. And ultimately you end up questioning what you know to be true from the word of God. And you find that you have gone from just thinking, questioning, questioning the very God you say that you follow. Now, understand this. It's real important. I really think it's where God is leading me in a few weeks. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. You need to ask questions. You need to seek truth. You need to encourage your children to ask hard questions. You need to encourage your children to seek truth. You've heard me mention this before. and It's an absolute fact. It's one of the things that that just disturbs me so much about the church in America. Why is it? That the millennials, and that's not just kids from 18 to 30, but into their 30s and and even into their 40s, kind of. Why is it so many between 18 and 30 in particular? Check out. They want nothing to do with the church. They want nothing to do with what they've, they've been involved in their whole lives. Is it just that I want to sow my wild oats for a while? Some of it is that. But a lot of it is they get away from home, which they should do. Whether, it's, whether they go to the University of Memphis or they go to that ungodly place in Knoxville or, or in Oxford, wherever they go. And they get away from home. They get away from that comfort zone. And suddenly they're bombarded intellectually, emotionally, socially with, what do you believe? What's the truth? Do you really believe that Jesus stopped? Or, or that's just what you did because that's what your family did. And they find themselves starting to drift. As they start to drift, they begin to question. Questions are good. But they don't seek the truth. They just seek what they want. It's so important that you and I as adults know whom you believe. And you are persuaded that he is able to keep the tip what you committed unto him against that day. Do you believe it with all your being? Or do you just say, this is my choice? Their choice is fine. And now, now, don't misunderstand me. Everyone is created by God as a volitional being, free, moral agent to choose. But it does not mean what they choose is true. Does that make sense? You have to seek truth. Because here's what happens. The Bible talks about it in Romans. That once you begin to harden your heart a little bit toward truth, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. And you reach a point, it's like cement, where it's like steel. Now the Holy Spirit can penetrate anything. Because the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword to dividing asunder of a soul from a spirit. It, It is living. sure gets hard not for God but for us it's it's vital that we understand how significant the church is not the building you as an individual but maybe more so our focus today needs to be us as a group that we understand how much we need each other how much you need whatever my gifts are to share with you whatever your gifts are to share with me or the person next to you or somebody you haven't even met yet that's coming up this week that you know that, that whatever difficulty you might be facing that the people that you fellowship with share that love with, care and will pray for you and are there for you and won't want you to know they're lifting you up. They're going to be there for you. Because it's not just people, we're not just people who go to church together. We are the body of Jesus Christ who happens to meet at this local congregation. But we're part of a bigger entity, the church. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against that church. So then you get to verse 27. What's the solution to this? The anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, it's true, it's not a lie, it's taught you, you will abide in him. Understand, we have the Holy Spirit, every believer has it, we have it corporately. The God, the third person of the Trinity, Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to send you another helper just like me, who will be with you like I, Jesus, have been, but he'll also be in you. And he will teach you, truth he will bring to your mind all that i've taught you he will lead you to truth and he will always have his focus on jesus christ so you need to understand you have that anointing you have the witness of the holy spirit in you that's what it says when the word anointing in greek means a confirming witness in you it's not the impartation of the knowledge you can't just sit over in the corner and put your hands out like this and expect god to tell you something You go to the word of God. You use people like me and others who God may have given that gift to, to teach truth. You learn truth. You get the knowledge imparted to you, and then you have the teacher who wrote it, the Holy Spirit, in you to solidify and cement that that's the truth. That's what you follow is truth. Why? Because truth does what? At my funeral, I want everybody to say that. Truth does what? And two other things I want you to say at my funeral. That dude was crazy and he loved Jesus. That's it. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You want to seek truth. I'd love to talk to people who don't believe the Bible. And you need to as well. Because you need to ask them, what do you believe? How many times have you heard me say, everybody has a belief system, right? They do. They do. So talk to them about it. Don't be afraid. And here's the reason you don't need to be afraid. You know the truth. What does truth do? They're in bondage. You want to help them get free. You need to understand that anointing indwells you. Not some special mystical thing. It's the fact God is there. And when you study the word of God, God, the creator of the universe, who is your heavenly father in his son Christ, Jesus, if you're a Christian, is talking to you and saying, hey, Randy, heads up, pay attention. Learn my word, apply my word, live my word. That's what's going, by the way, it doesn't matter who we elect president a year from now or whenever we do it in November. We're in 2016, aren't we? It doesn't matter who we elect as president in November. From one perspective, the only thing that's going to change America is a revival of the Holy Spirit that comes from the church of Jesus Christ. Whether it's Republican or Democrat or whatever else might be out there, what matters is that we need to understand how significant the church is. You read the book of Acts you study history. If you don't believe the Bible, flush it and study history. And tell me the organization that changed the world A.D. 300, A.D. 200, A.D. 400. It was the church of Jesus Christ. Turn the world upside down, the Bible says, because they believed their Savior walked out of that tomb. Do you really believe that? Or do we just give it lip service? That Holy Spirit indwells us, yet confirming witness and it gives you the discernment now understand this it's so important because there's so many false teachers out there i watched a guy again last night i was telling my class this morning i don't know why i do that to myself but i do the holy spirit that confirming witness that's in you that's in us will never confirm in your heart your mind your being your soul anything that contradicts the word of god Did you hear what I just said? He will never confirm in you, give you, tell you this is true. Anything that contradicts the word of God. So to say, God has given me this word and this is what you should do. And then it contradicts the Bible. You did not get that from God. God's not the author of confusion. God's not going to tell you one thing in the Bible, turn around and tell you something else in your heart. For example, I've had a number of people over the years, male and female, Tell me they claimed to be Christians. They were in church. I, I, I don't know whether they were or not. But said to me, look me in the eye and said, I want, I'm going to get a divorce because I'm not happy. And God has told me it's OK. No, he didn't. God didn't tell you that. That's just one example. And I'm not, every, everybody has their struggles. Everybody has their sins. They struggle. That's fine. Struggling with sin. Something we all do. But understand the confirming witness of the Holy Spirit will always bring you to the word of God. Look at verse 27 again, the end of it. Just as it's taught you, you will abide in him. That phrase abide in him, I love that phrase in Greek. It means you're possessed by it. You're owned by it. In your prayer life, we're talking about, this is my class, this more talking about prayer. Why is the bottom line to all prayer, you want to hallow the name of God and you want to be in the center of God's will? Because God is holy. God's will is perfect. Randy's will is not. Randy makes mistakes. Randy asks for the wrong thing. Randy sometimes has selfish motives. Randy's not perfect, but my father is. My God is. That's why prayer is not about me changing God, despite what so many people preach. It's not about me changing God and getting him to do what I want him to do. Prayer is aligning Randy's will with the will of God and then Randy doing it. It's it's simple. We make it hard. It's so vital we understand who the church is. So secondly, as the church, as his body, verse 28, we need to seek intimacy with each other as the children of God intimacy as the children of God verse 28 now little children abide in him be possessed by him and when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at his coming if you know that he is righteous Jesus you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him what you see in here in verse 28 29 is a bridge in the book of first john he's been talking about this fellowship what we share in common Now it's a bridge where he's transitioning into talking about we are a family. The sonship, from fellowship to sonship. So he says, little children. I love that phrase. It's John's favorite phrase to describe Christians. Paul's favorite phrase is in Christ. John's is little children, family terms. So John says, little children, beloved is another term he uses a lot. Born of him, children of God, family relationships. He says, seek intimacy as God's children. Number one, abiding. Look at verse 28, abiding. Little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Abiding means constantly possessed by the intimacy with God, your father, and with each other as brothers and sisters. And we joked about it several weeks ago, and I had someone come up to me, and they started calling me their crazy uncle, Randy. We all have that guy in our, in our family that's that crazy Uncle Randy that you just kind of put up with at the holidays and at other times because he's your crazy Uncle Randy. But you know what? If you're a child of God, if you're born again, I'm a child of God, I'm born again, I'm your crazy brother Randy, whether you like it or not. We're the, we're the family of God. They're not, we're not going to agree on every little thing, but we're going to focus on the person of Christ, The inerrancy of scripture, the word of God and our role in changing society as the institution that God has chosen to reveal himself through. We are his church. We need to have intimacy with each other, with our father, the Holy Spirit that abides in us. Here's why verse the end of verse 28. I love this picture. So we can be confident and not ashamed at his appearing. You know what he's saying there? Jesus is coming back. That's what it means by his appearing. We talked about, we we had the banner hanging up here talking about his first advent. We're in the church age, the last days. When he comes back the second time, the second coming, the second advent, when Jesus comes back and it's all said and done, we are his church. We will be with him. And when he comes back, Look at verse 1. This is a powerful and exciting, I hope it's an encouraging verse to you. Look at the end of verse 28, in the middle of it. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Confidence means free speech. I love that, because here's the picture. When Jesus comes back, there are two great judgments. Two great judgments. There's the great white throne judgment. And there's the bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment is for people who have rejected Jesus, nonbelievers, the lost, those who said to God, "I don't want you involved in my life. I will not accept your free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. I will be my own God." And so God gives them what they want—eternity without Him in hell. That's the great white throne judgment. That's God giving them what they want. It was created for Satan and his demons. But for human beings, that's their ultimate destination if they reject Jesus Christ because that's what they want. But then there's the Bema seat where believers, only believers are there, the judgment seat of Christ where we get our rewards as his children, as his bride, as his family. You know what it means there when it says confidence at his coming? It means this. I won't be at the great white throne judgment. I'll be at the Bema seat of Christ and I'll be able, it means free speech, I'll be able to freely enjoy because I'm not at the great white throne judgment. I'm a child of God. Do you understand why it's so significant we preach the gospel? Why we share the truth? Why we want people to know Jesus and not reject him? There is no other way. There is no second chance. There's not another road up the mountain. If there is a God at all, you would think he would be fair enough to say there's only one way, and he did. His name is Jesus Christ. So the idea here in verse 28 is, I will be confident when Jesus comes back. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, I will be excited that he's coming back. The end of the book of Revelation, when the Bible wraps up, what's the last thing it says? Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We want him to come back. The only reason he's not coming back and the only reason we don't want him to come back like today is we all know people who don't know Jesus yet, don't we? And we love them. We want to see them saved. And Jesus is still saving people. He knows who they are. But there's a point coming when he's coming back. There is a day. That day's coming. It's a point a man wants to die. And after that, what? Judgment. Not second chance. Not another opportunity Supporting that a man wants to die, you die once, and after that, you're judged. You've got to make a decision. But see, as believers, this church that we share, that we're in, that we're part of, as Christians, we're confident when he comes back. We get the free speech because we're his children, we're his bride. We're also not ashamed. We're not ashamed. Because we know who we are. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded. that He is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day when he comes back. No, we're not perfect. We want to be perfect. But we're not. We want to listen to the Holy Spirit. That anointing that we have. We want to learn. We want to apply the word. We want to live the word. We want to see our world change for Jesus Christ. Verse 29. If you know that he's righteous. hang with me here, this is really interesting in Greek. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The first, if you know, because we're born of him, if you know means absolute truth. One of the things I'm really struggling with in theology that's being taught in our nation is the idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Well, that flies in the face of everything the Bible teaches. Jesus said, I am the truth. There is absolute truth. So what this says here is, if you know, verse 29, if you know, that word know means absolute truth. If you know, then the next phrase, that he is righteous. If you know absolutely that Jesus is who he says he is, absolute righteousness, you notice there's another you know. If you know, you know. And the second you know, means not absolute truth, but by experience, by living out that truth. So it's like this. If you know that Jesus is everything he said he was, he's righteous, he's the son of God, he is the only way a man can know God. If you know that, you believe that in your heart, you're born again, absolute truth, then by experience you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. In other words, you know who your family members are. You live it out. You live it out because you know that it's real. So we seek that intimacy. It's so important. Like the guy that I met in 1991 and other believers that I meet, some of us see each other once a week. Sometimes I might see you once a month. But the bottom line is this. You need to know that the people that you fellowship with, that you share that love with, care about you. They need to know you care about them. We do a prayer list in in our 930 class every week. And then Dan Watts emails that to us Monday or Tuesday of every week. I love getting that reminder to pray for each other. Pray for each other. There's nothing more significant you can do than pray for each other. There's a lot of things you can't fix. But your God can Your father can. You need to pray. Lord, what is your will here? Lord, do your will. Lord, if it's your will, would you do this? Tell you what I'm going to do. We got one point left. I'm going to save that for next week. I want to share a story with you and then we're going to be done. So if you'll just close your Bibles and just relax for a moment. Why is this important? Why is this significant? There are a lot of different things that we could share, we could talk about. I just want to share one true story with you. Many of you know who Corey Ten Boom is. If you haven't read her book, The Hiding Place, you need to read it. It's been around for a long time. It's a German concentration camp. An incredible testimony of two women, her and her sister Beth. Amazing what they did in a German concentration camp with, for the gospel. Two women. Amazing. She wrote a book called Reflections of God, and in it she's telling a story. Here's the story. In Africa, a man came to a meeting with bandaged hands, and I asked him how he had been injured, and he said, My neighbor's straw roof was on fire. I helped him to put it out, and that's how my hands were burned. Later, Corey says, I heard the whole story. The neighbor hated him and had set his roof on fire while his wife and children were asleep in the hut. Well, the neighbor set the other guy's house, on fire. They were in great danger. Fortunately, he was able to put out the fire in his house on time. But sparks flew from the roof of his house back to the man who had set the house on fire, and his house started to burn. First, the man that she's talking about with the bandaged hands was a Christian. He had no hate in his heart. There was love for his enemy, and he did everything he could to put out the fire in his neighbor's house. The neighbor set his house on fire. It blew it back. His house was on fire. And what did the Christian do? He went over and got his own hands injured, putting out the fire of his enemy. Now, what did his enemy have to think about that guy? Even if he didn't change his mind about it, what did he have to think? That guy sure lives out what he believes. I may not agree with it, but who else would do that for me? I tried to burn his house down. And he came over and got himself hurt trying to save Miles. You see, Christians are different. We're not religious nuts. We're different. We're born again. We've been set free. We know what life's about. We know what love is. We know why we're on the planet. We know the one who could set people free. And his name is Jesus Christ. So we have to believe, live, and spend all our time proclaiming in a loving, compassionate, gentle way the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is no other way. So as we look at another year, here's 2016. I'm not saying 2015 was a bad year for you. I don't know. But I do know this. It's not about resolutions. It's about every day I'm going to wake up and say, all right, Lord, what can I do for you today? For the kingdom of God. Ask God to give you opportunities. Pray for moments to share your faith. And I promise you you'll get them. I'm not going to promise you you'll always take them. Because I don't. But I know they'll be there. They'll be there. Here's why. That's why you're on the planet. You're special. You're the church. God lives in you. God lives in you. and he wants the world to see that. It's important they see it. Somebody said, and we're going to pray, there are five Gospels the book was written last year. Five Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. You. And a lot of people don't read the first four. That neighbor read the fifth one, didn't he? whether you wanted to read it or not, would you bow your heads, please? Father, we pause before you again as God. Thank you that you're real, that the gospel is true. We thank you that you set us free in Christ. Lord, I, I realize there could be people seated here today who don't believe that, that Jesus is the only way. I pray, Father, they would ask questions. We would answer those questions, whether it's me, Russ, anybody, any of the believers that are here, every believer is a priest. We would share the truth because only Jesus Christ can save. He alone can give you peace, hope, joy. I pray we would lovingly, compassionately care for one another as the church and then go out in the world and let the world see those people are different. We need to be different. We thank you for the opportunity you're going to give us today, tomorrow, this week share the gospel i pray we take it so lord right now as we close out today each of us the believers would pray for genuine commitment to be the church and if there's a non-believer here father they would say jesus i need to be saved please save me we pray in jesus name amen